the way I was thinking about it when we were having this discussion earlier was just that I agree that the accountability thing is wrong. Like in my organization, yes, we set deadlines and goals and stuff, but like if you miss the deadline by a day, then you were like 99% there. I'm not going to punish you for getting 99% of your goal done. And what is the punishment? I mean, flogging, of course. (laughs) Yeah. You get to wear the hat. You're listening to Working Code with your hosts, one of whom probably just wrote a new JavaScript library, Adam, Ben, Carol, and Tim. Okay, it is show number 38, and on today's show, we're going to be discussing developer motivation and deadlines and Tim, thank you for writing that in there because I didn't even remember that we hadn't discussed what the official name of the topic was going to be until <laughs> I got to that point in what I say. Um, there you go. I'm yeah, here to help. Uh, Teamwork. So that's what we're going to talk about today. But I guess, as usual, we'll start with our triumphs and fails. And Ben, it's your turn to go first. So what do you got? I'm going to go with a triumph. I built a MVP, a minimum viable product at work. I've always felt like we underserve the administrative portion of an organization and we focus a lot on designers and managers, but there's a, there's an echelon of people who come in and their entire job is just to manage other people. And I feel like we've never really had great insight into how they might want to use the product. So over the last two weeks, I started to build out a more robust user management feature, but I didn't want to I didn't want to assume everyone would use it. So I wanted to build just enough to make it sort of a read only, but you could click through to things that were more interactive, put some analytics on it. And now I'm just Mm -hmm. seeing if anybody clicks into it. And then I'll use that as a way to determine how much additional effort I want to put into fleshing out the more interactive features. But I don't know. I'm just, (laughs) uh, what? I'm over here laughing because I, if I was going to develop this sort of feature, I think it would be, my first stop would be like to go talk to some of the users. And then it occurred to me, like, Ben doesn't like to people. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm also in a weird position where I don't want to make a lot of noise because the more noise I make, the more people have to get involved. Uh, And and then I find that maybe this is also like on topic a little bit like that sometimes just slows things down too much. So I kind of just like to put stuff out there quietly and see what happens. And you either can see the analytics and you see people using it, or you can start to get support tickets where people are using it, but it's not fulfilling what they need and they complain. And that's sort of like some degree of actual human feedback. But so you're the school of build it and they will come if it's good. And if it's not, you might need to tweak yeah, it. Yeah. And the idea behind the minimum viable product is that if I build it and they don't come and use it, then it wasn't a huge amount of effort. So it wasn't a ton of time wasted. Right. Well, I think that's going to dovetail nicely into the topic today, especially from it, this kind of, we had a, a brief discussion earlier today in our podcast discord about this topic. And that's why we're just recording it tonight. So some of the points I brought up in that discussion, I think are going to dovetail nicely with what you were just saying, Ben. MVP. Mm, for sure. Nice, nice. It's going to be great because I didn't read everything. So. <laughs> and Carol, welcome back, by the way. You were out last week and oh, we, yeah. we didn't yeah. even mention it. I felt like a, a horse's patootie again, just not acknowledging yeah, that fact. Sorry. We we yeah. did miss you, but Brian yeah, was he awesome. Was, he was pretty great. Yeah, it seemed pretty clear after you recorded that you didn't miss <laughs> me that much. I had to chime in and be like, I am coming back. You cannot keep him. Uh, anyway, Tim, what do you got going on? The triumph. So I've been doing, you know, built lots of different products in the past couple of years. And now kind of we really are getting our sales and marketing engine going. 
And I'm not a sales person. I'm not a marketing person, even though I have done those roles. It's not my, it's not my bailiwick, but I do like to help out with the technical demos. And I've sat in on a lot of technical demos and the worst ones are where people just show up and throw up and they don't really, and they start talking about stuff you really don't care about. So I, I, the, the triumph is that just doing, I'm going to use a sales marketing term here, your due diligence beforehand to find out what is it they really want to see? What problem are they trying to solve? What are their concerns? Figuring that out rather than just cranking out the same old, here's a bunch of screens and here's what it's doing without really understanding what it is they need. So we've been doing that recently and it's just, it's been really successful in getting further conversations and further down the sales pipeline. Because the worst thing that can happen on a technical demo is you show everything and people don't have any questions. That means they just checked out and they're like, yeah, this is not for us. You completely lost them. Yep. Yeah, you completely, they're like, what time's lunch, right? Yep. So it's when they have a bunch of questions and they're like, yeah, that's really cool. Or they start giving you ideas. Have you thought about this, adding this feature? Like, yeah. okay, yeah, you're right. No, I haven't thought of that. That's really, talk, talk to me. What would that mean if we added this to the product? And they start talking about that. So we've had a, a lot of those recently and it's been, yeah, it's been great. So I, I'm just, I'm happy to see sort of the traction that comes when you start getting feedback on your product and you start uh, being able to see the value of it. And then also the feedback that helps you continuously improve because building, you know, I know Ben likes to build in the vacuum sometimes and push it out there, but you know, I got to hear, I got to hear some feedback, right? I'm yeah. lazy. If you don't tell me what to do, I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to, so yeah, that's me. No, I love that. I love when I'm doing technical demos. Like it's the best thing for me because I love that interaction and I love, it's kind of almost like nerve wracking. Like, oh my God, what are they going to think about it? Like I'm going to oh. be judged so harshly mm. and I'm so nervous. And then at the end of it, I'm like, let's go have ice cream because I'm yeah. so happy. I don't care if you just told me I failed or it was great either way. It's just like this huge success, no matter how the outcome is. Yeah. I get yeah. so, I get so nervous on those kind of things. I, I, I just, I will not schedule anything like the hour before and I would just kind of, I'll pace around the room like for an hour and just, and then I'm done with it. I'm like, why was I so nervous? It went great. (laughs) Well, it's because you have that bond to it. It's like, you're really connected with what you've been developing and doing. Yeah. Yeah. And particularly if it's like, they're like looking at another competitor and, and people are so cagey about telling you what other people typically have to sign NDAs and they're not going to say, well, so-and-so does X, X and X and X. Why don't you do that? But sometimes they actually do, but you know, like you, you feel like you're being compared to someone else and yeah. you don't know what you're like stripping naked and you have no idea what the other guy looks like. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good so, way to put it. Yeah. I, I think talking so, to customers is awesome. And I, I know that some, I, I build stuff quietly, but that's almost more of a political motivation than it is a, a workflow yeah. motivation. I, sometimes I'll go to my CFT or customer facing team. And I just want to be put in front of a customer and they'd be like, well, what do you want to talk about? I'm just like, I don't care anything. I don't care if they're happy or if they're angry or they want to yell about right. something in the product, like just let them start the conversation and see where it goes. And I, I will, I love to be in a call with a customer and just ask open-ended questions. Like if you, uh, so I think I was in one call just recently and I said, like, if you were running our product team and you could do one thing, what would it do? Just to like see the thing that they might not think to ask about, but it's like the thing that bothers them every day. Yeah. 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 So I have a similar question. So I'm like, look, you've seen what we've done here, or if it's an existing customer, you've been working for a while. If you had a magic wand, what would be one thing you'd change? Right. 
and, and see what they say. That's very enlightening to give them that. And a lot of times, honestly, it's like it's not as pie in the sky kind of visionary. Occasionally you get those kind of people, but mostly it's like some tiny little thing that you're like, oh, that's an issue? Okay, it's give, so give, simple to yeah, fix, yeah. yeah. Give me a couple hours, but we'll yeah. be done. So Yeah, absolutely. Love it. So, Carol, what's, what you got going on? Welcome back. <clears throat> yeah, welcome back, right? So, I have a failure. I'm Uh-oh. on Zendesk this week, which is what we call when you're on call. Like you're the Zen master. And, man, this sucks. I am really struggling because, you know, you guys all know I started this job in October, was just getting the hang of things, learning the system. Mm-hmm. And then around April, I completely went out of my everyday work, went out of the terminology, went out of everything related to, like, the weeds of my system and moved over to the GCP and AWS stuff. And I had to pick up Zendesk and I am looking at all these acronyms. I'm like, I remember nothing. (laughs) I have everything I learned is gone. So I'm like, what's an MIT? What's PRP? What's FTD? Like that has to be like a flower delivery service. (laughs) It can't be something in our system. I'm like, how is this failing? So it's just been one. and, And my first rotation on Zendesk, I got one Zendesk ticket. And everyone was like, oh my goodness, nobody ever only gets one. So, of course, our business analyst was like, remember that time you only had one? (laughs) Sorry. I was like, yeah, everything you tell me now is going to be not prod support. Sorry. So, yeah, so that's me. That's what I have going on. Failure a little bit because Zendesk sucks. I don't know if Zendesk, I mean, it sounds like they they kind of threw you in there at the beginning and then took you out. And now it's like, if you don't know those things, if that's not your bailiwick. (laughs) My um, bailiwick. My new word. My triumph win. Yay, yay. And yeah, maybe they shouldn't be putting you on there with without further training. Well, they like I I do have I will say probably a good win to this is my team is absolutely amazing. So I have been putting in our Slack channel like someone tell me what the FTD delivery failure means for this PRC thing that's going on, and like three people chime in. They're like, oh. Here it is. Here's how you rerun it. Here's what's going on with it. I was like, oh, okay. I remember cool. Sounds like you should be so putting together like an on-call a cheat sheet sort mm-hmm. of thing, like with acronyms and jobs to rerun in that situation and stuff. Probably. What I've done so far is just open up core issues so that the tickets don't come up that, again. That, that's like, even hey, better. fix the problem. We don't want the core issue to happen again. Because if it repeats twice, there's a problem and we fix it. Cool. So, yeah, Good plan. Anyways, yeah. Nice, nice. Yeah. What about you, Adam? What you got? I have a triumph, and I think it kind of fits nicely with our discussion topic for today. So yesterday, I we have a, a morning meeting where we go through our plans for the day and talk about anything that's big that needs discussion. And I talked my team into not writing a feature yet. So basically, we're developing this big feature for some stuff. I think it might have discussed some of it in my triumph from last week. But the one of the user administration portions of that feature, like sort of a feature within itself, is it's tough to to even discuss because it's so complex, right? There's a lot of potential different paths we could take. There's at least three potential user experience approaches that I could see us taking. And with the four of us discussing it, none of us could really clearly say for sure that any one of them was the right way to go. And so what I ended up doing was suggesting that we build none of them to start. Let's launch without any of them (laughs) and just tell the users, like, if you want to change this data, put in a ticket. And the reason for this not having administration for this is because we want to better understand how you want to use the feature before we build the interface so that you can do it yourself so that we don't waste time and effort and money because time is money 
building the wrong thing, which is something we've done far too many times. So it was like, I feel like my insight, my, I feel like my triumph here is that I've finally had an insight I should have had several times in the past, right? Like I, I recognized that we were on the precipice of doing the wrong thing again and I stopped us from doing it. So I'm happy with that. That's really awesome and really hard to do because I just want to go build it all (laughs) out without knowing if they'll ever even use it. So it's hard to take that step back and go, well, let's just see how they want to interact with it before we build a front for them. So smart. Yeah. And like I said, we've done it in the past, either with this particular thing, I could see us building all three different variations as like separate interfaces and maybe only one of the three gets used or even worse, like building one sort of giant complex interface that can sort support every possible use case. And then it's a monster and everybody hates it because... Good luck so then actually supporting right. that if you do want to exactly. change it. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I'm happy with that. I remember listening to an interview one time. I can't remember where. And uh, this guy was talking about how he was building a product. And one of the techniques that he used, which I've been dying to use, is he'll actually put calls to action in his application. And when you go to click the call to action, it'll pop up a modal window that says something along the lines of like, we haven't built this feature yet, but here's an input where you can tell us why you might want to do this. Hmm. And so he puts an ingress to something and then just sees if anybody clicks on it. And then he uses that as evidence as to whether or not he actually wants to build that feature. That's pretty smart. I like that. It's really interesting. And And I've heard of people who like have an idea like for a service. And so they build this kind of, marketing ish kind of page that basically touts mm-hmm. all the pros and cons of why you would want to use this kind of service and, and and you sign up for it and it looks like it's real, but you get to it and they're like, this sign up to, when, to find out further information when we start to build this. And so, cause you, sometimes you have this idea, you're like, oh, this would be perfect. And you start putting all this blood, sweat and tears into it. And then you release it and everybody's like, no, that's mm-hmm. not a problem that I need to solve. <laughs> but if you put it out there and you start getting people start subscribing to find out when it's going to be released, you're like, okay, there, there's actually some traction there. And that's, I mean, that's even prior to an MVP. That's like, like appetite research yeah. to find out here's this thing. Is there even appetite it, right. for this right so, now? Because if there's not, what's the point yeah, of building I, it? I'm, I kind of have like one foot in the entrepreneurial space uh, for like side projects, like with my book and other stuff. And one of the things that I see written about and spoken about frequently there is the idea of using sales as market validation, mm-hmm. right? So before you make the product, before you write the book, sell it, like literally take people's money. Mm-hmm. And worst case scenario, it doesn't work out. You decide, oh, I didn't get enough sales. and I'm not going to do it. You just refund their money. Um, it's kind of like a Kickstarter, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, you say, here's our idea. We want to build this. If you're interested, right. refund yeah. it. Cause there's, if we build yeah. If we build it, you get it early for, you know, cheaper exactly. or get some other yeah stuff. So yeah, you're gauging the market value of what your yeah. idea is. And I think that's probably fantastic. only 10 to 20% of people who are willing to give you their email address because they're kind of interested would actually spend the money. Exactly. Right. You're not getting all of it. It's interesting because like this, I think is a perfect example of where there's a strong divide between people who build digital products and people who are used to building and running physical businesses where Mm -hmm. if you're building a digital system you freak out at the idea that there's going to be inconsistency like oh what if we sell a product and then it turns out that that product's not actually on a shelf somewhere and then you talk to people who run businesses and they're like yeah that's a fact of life like that just happens all the time what happens if you go to sell Mm -hmm. something off the shelf and it breaks while you're packaging it like that's the same thing and there's all these 
like little nuggets of wisdom where you realize that that life is just not as consistent as we like to think it is in a digital world. And and when you can lean into that instead of fighting it, I don't know, things get a lot more interesting. Not to say that I'm there, but mm. I love the idea. It's a good segue into what we're going to talk okay. about. Yeah. Yeah. I think all of this is kind of leading into yeah. the thing. So, yeah. Tim, you found the the original post that inspired all this. Do you want to maybe read that? Do you think? I, I don't know if I read the whole thing. Kinda it's kind of lengthy. It's kind of lengthy. So I will say, so Hal Helms, he's a, a guy that, that many of us know. He has been in the cold fusion community, but he's an educator and, you know, been around a long time. And uh, I follow him on Facebook and he, he posted this uh, to Facebook talking about how that we need to hold developers accountable and sort of his counter argument to the idea of sprints. Now, a lot of us use sprints, um, but basically what he's saying, he says he hates sprints because he despises asking developers to commit to achieving a goal within estimated time frame. And I mean, I sort of see his point because he, he quotes a Nobel Prize winning psychologist, Daniel Kahneman, Kahneman. I don't know how to say that, Kahneman, about the estimation fallacy. And that is so true. I mean, the few times in my career where I actually have been in a place where I've had to give like sprint estimates, I always felt like I was lying every single time. Or I was trying to figure out what the answer they wanted to hear yeah. was. And people just don't really know in in software and probably even in other areas too, but we're concerned about software, is how to estimate how long something's going to take. Um, and that's a problem because you have a customer who wants to know when something's going to be done, but you have an unknown level of effort. And of course, he's he talks about how he's having this kind of argument with his friend who is like a project manager kind of person who says that you got to hold people accountable but I agree with him that developers, they're not stupid and they don't really need motivation. They sort of having developers, anyone who's worth their salt, and most of them want to build something good, they have motivation. They want to see something done and complete and done right, but they need to be given the time for it. And the time is unknown, right? So the, you think you know how long it's going to take and then you get into it. It's, it's a lot longer. But his main argument is that these idea of sprints of like how much can you get done within a two week sprint or whatever your sprint cycle is really just a bludgeoning tool to beat down on developers when they don't meet that. And that is so counterproductive because they didn't lie to yeah. you. They just didn't, they didn't know. And so, you know, you, I, you guys can read the, I posted in our discord channel here as well, but we'll definitely um, put the full text of his uh, post in the show notes. But or, I think it's a, Become a Patreon and you can get access to it. Just saying. So, I, I mean, I agree with him. I think that the idea of sprints as a form of accountability is bad. I do think at some level you have to give people an idea of, all right, what are we going to get done in these two weeks? Right. I don't, when I've worked on sprints, it's always been, I've never been in a sprint where they're like, if you don't get this done, there's repercussions. It's just like, all right, we didn't get this done. Why didn't we get this done? All right, well, we just move it to the next yeah. sprint, right? But I mean, so where is the balance of delivering something on time, whatever that means, versus what do you have to do to motivate developers versus how does management do their job while developers do their job yeah. at the optimal level on both yeah, sides? Yeah, it's a very multifaceted topic. 
right? There's a lot of different angles to look at this by. There's the accountability, there's motivation, there's goals and, and time management estimation. There's a lot of things to this. And I think I agree with a lot of what Hal is saying here, but yeah. I, so I guess my, my purview, no. Yeah, use that word again. Go ahead, Adam. Yeah. Bailiwick? No. The bailiwick. My, the way I was thinking about it when we were having this discussion earlier was just that I agree that the accountability thing is wrong. Like in my organization, yes, we set deadlines and goals and stuff, but like if you miss the deadline by a day, then you were like 99% there. I'm not going to punish you for getting yeah. 99% of your goal done. And what is the punishment? I mean, flogging. Of course. Yeah. You get to wear the hat. I don't know. Like yeah. I've never been punished. Yeah. I being mean, late. there may be financial consequences to the company, but as a developer, yeah. I've personally never been like you're punished yeah. I think, for not delivering. So again, we have this, this, this straw man but, that we can take down here. So the person who is on the other side of this argument from hell, right. Who's saying we need to hold developers accountable. I think that what they're saying is like, if your developers consistently don't meet their deadlines and their goals from their sprints, then that might be grounds for a demotion or termination or or whatever, right? Like some sort of. See, and I think if you constantly have your developers not meeting their goals, then when they tell you a day, you go add a week to it because as a manager, (laughs) they're not going to get it done in a day. Yeah. So rather than saying, oh, you're trying to give me a good estimate because you think you can, I realistically know that you and this team can't yeah. do that. So I'm going to add a week to what you say. And if if it's early, guess what? Everyone's really happy and you got it done right. in a day. If no, it's no, everyone's we're great. Everyone's not always happy. If you're if you're done early, they're like, Why did you sandbag, right? Oh, Why I did you hate underestimate? When people tell me that. When people right. are like, Why are you sandbagging my quotes? Yeah. You mean to sandbag this? It needs. I need a yeah. week, and now you need to add a week to whatever I just told you. So go have your two weeks yeah. now. I get mm-hmm. I get annoyed with this estimating thing. I, I get. I, I was got thinking some about feelings that. about this too. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Like we're developers. We're not estimators, right? Like we have a sense. Right. The, the there's so many hidden corners in a project, right? So like when somebody asks me to write a feature, my brain instantly is like writing code in my head, right? Like I'm seeing the path that I'm going to be implementing, like instantly. But what my brain doesn't show me is, oh, you have to write the tests and you have to write documentation yep. mm-hmm. and you have to, Go you, to you forgot about reports and you forgot about the API mm-hmm. implications of all this. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's an after hours post. There's time to support right. it. There's lots of things that go into development that's not just writing. Right. And th- those are the things that we're not thinking of when we make these bad estimates, I think. I think so. He kind of gets to his conclusion at the end here, and I completely agree with him. He says, I told, he talks about what should be his philosophy of management when it comes to managing developers. He says, I told him it was really quite simple. Give developers what they need and protect them from upper management. Amen. Yes, for sure. Preach. That's, that, that preach. preach. That's, that's me throwing that in there. CEOs don't produce software. Let me repeat that. CEOs don't produce software. CTOs don't. Product managers don't. When upper management tries tricks like sprints to force the developers into deadlines as if such a thing could be done by fiat, they effectively tell their developers we neither trust nor respect you. Yeah, I think, yes, when you're trying to be super rigid about it and, oh, I I thought of this earlier and I wanted to fit it in before we get too far away from the topic. Another potential consequence of not of like consistently not meeting your your deadlines would be like sort of bump you down the list for promotions right maybe not a demotion or being mm-hmm. fired but like 
hey, you need to get better at this before you can be promoted. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. If you write me up for being late on a delivery, I'm pretty much going to quit anyways. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I'm going to take the time that it needs to do it right. But the difference is that I'm going to communicate with you along the way. So if I told you it was going to take a day and I'm four hours into it and I'm nowhere close, you're going to know at that four hour mark that we underestimated this, Mm -hmm. that we cannot deliver this. So do you want me to keep working on it or do you want to go to the customer and say, hey, it's going to be late. Do you want to prioritize something else? Like you have to be open about what's going on. I could understand if I'm not communicating that you're upset by it not being delivered on time. But if I'm telling you we're not going to be able to do it into it, there should be no punishment on my side. And if so, I'll go somewhere else. (laughs) (laughs) I'm hardcore about that. What what drives me nuts is so you have project managers or people in, in management who aren't writing a line of code whatsoever, probably have never written in a line of code. And they come to the developers and say, all right, so this needs to be done by X date. Right. And you're like, well, where did you get that number? How did you arrive at that number? I mean, did you just pull that out of the air? Well, the customer needs it by then. Great. You but, shouldn't have told them we could do it. Yeah. Right. That's yeah, exactly. Fault. You do your job. You manage customer expectations. That is your job as a project manager. You manage the project and manage the customer. But you can't magically write code in that short period of time because someone said you had to. It's one thing if a customer needs it. It's another thing when you ask, where did this date come from? And they're like, well, there's going to be a marketing event around this. Oh, yeah. And you're like, well, maybe you should Uh, wait till we build it it. until you start marketing it. Call me crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Call you crazy. Hey, crazy. Hey, crazy. But I don't know how to solve this nut, right? This is kind of a tough one. Yeah, it's definitely hard. I want to come back to this idea of doing it right. A couple of you guys have said it takes a certain amount of time to do it right. And like we talked about writing tests and the documentation and considering all the things. And that is where I want to put just the slightest amount of pushback on our total agreement with Hal here. As a really small business, one of the things that's constantly going through my mind as we're working on things is... Should I be doing this? It, like, like I'm thinking of uh, that scene in Office Space. Like, is this good for the company? <laughs> um, <laughs> like, what we like to do as developers is, like you're it. saying, do it right. Like, we want to go full on, like, clean code and, and write all the tests and use all the patterns, right? That sort of thing. But if there's a little bit of time pressure, you might be more inclined to put in a little hack that can save you 20 hours of work mm-hmm. by putting in 15 lines of garbage code. Dirty, yeah. dirty code. And that's good enough for like mm-hmm. like launch day. And then you can come back and you can refactor and add those extra 20 hours of work later. If that is good enough, then that is literally good enough, right? Like, so you got to be on the lookout for those. And I mean, what that is, is it's technical debt, right? So you're intentionally taking on this debt, this potentially harmful thing with the understanding that it gives you a short-term benefit. Right. But that is there actually that understanding? That's my challenge on that. So you have a project manager who you initially say, look, I need three weeks to do this. And he's like, look, we don't have that time. He or she says, we don't have that time. Like, all right, look, I can do it dirty and quick and I probably get it done in five days. He's like, all right, do that. Now you just trained that project manager that anytime you say three weeks, you can cut it down to five days. And so this technical debt builds because developers, rightly or wrongly, it's they, in general, don't people mm-hmm. pretty well. They avoid conflict. Some don't. Some, some really love conflict. I've got one that works for me. He loves conflict. Ooh. But in general, they're like, look, uh, 
I just want to get it done and move on. I don't want to argue relentlessly on this. And so if, if you have that pattern of continually just saying, I'm just going to keep doing it dirty. Well, now you've just built this huge stack of technical debt that, you know, is insurmountable and, and no one can, now you're bringing in tiger teams to fix everything and rewrite everything. And yeah, so I get what yeah. you're saying on that, Adam, but it's like that if you have a, a PM who understands it says, look, we can do this in the time frame you want, but afterward we need to schedule, actually schedule time right. for the three weeks we need to do this right. Yep. And commit to it and let it go through because that's not what typically happens. Usually sure. you say, I need the time. Well, when you finish this, there's a new project, there's yep. a new deadline, there's a new delivery. And now your tiny team that you have, like Adam supporting this now is now having to do with a new, having to deal with a new deadline and support this technical debt that mm-hmm. you put in to cut the deadline up front. And, and how do you explain that to the customer? Like, so you just released a new feature, right? That you cheated your way into and you're like, okay, so in our next sprint, we're going to add two weeks to make this better. They're like, well, it works. They don't understand it. So they're like, this is just wasted time. You're just, you're just wasting time and, and resources on this project. And, and, I mean, that's really hard to explain to a person that like, look, yeah, it works, but honestly, it's not pretty. It don't work great. So (laughs) I think my perspective is a little bit skewed because my team is reasonably healthy about this stuff, right? Like we, (laughs) we don't get those arcane, like you will have it done by this date for no reason at all deadlines. It, It genuinely starts from a place of how long should it take to complete this feature. And I don't think, I I think we get, we developers get too comfortable with kind of making a guess. Personally, I feel like I do better estimations when I take the time and think, okay, I need to break my feature down into all of its smaller constituent parts and think about all the implications of those. And some of those get broken down into smaller parts and how long do I really need to write that one part? And then you add them all up at the end. And I find I get a much better estimate from that. And of course, then I like add another 50% or something like that for tests and mm-hmm. documentation and API and whatnot. Yeah, I, I do think there is benefit in breaking much bigger tasks into as small as possibly can, because there's room to basically add wiggle on it. If you have like five things, you're like, and you estimate it at a certain time, and they're like, okay, you know, why do those five things take that long? But if you have a hundred things, they don't, like, okay, that, they don't that's a lot, so much, right? Yeah. That's, that's a whole lot yeah. you're doing there. Clearly, we but, now see it, right? Yeah, right. But I mean, that's a lot of just administrative work. I mean, that's just, again, that's trying to hold people accountable and then beat them. So, I mean, my philosophy, I, I totally agree with Hal. I mean, I totally agree with what he's saying. I don't think that the whole idea of doing sprints should ever be a way to punish developers for not getting Never. stuff done. yeah. The idea of a sprint is, all right, look, let's just scope this. Let's just say we're going to deliver something in two weeks and here's what we aim to do. But the customer and project manager and everyone has to understand this might not be 100% done. So even within that sprint that you're doing, there needs to be an order of priority. What is the most important out of all this, right? So what's the stuff that really needs to be first and get that try to work on getting that done. And if, you know, the lower priority things don't get done, then you just move them to the next sprint. And there's no punishment. Mm-hmm. There's no write-ups. There's no, you yeah. failed. The idea of a sprint is, is trying to build a bounded box of work that you work on. And if you don't get to all of it, you just move the things that didn't get done into the next one and build that next box of work. It's just moving the ball forward rather than saying, 
is it a pass yeah. or fail? Right? I, I, I completely agree with the whole concept of like sprints shouldn't be a tool for deciding who gets promoted and who doesn't or like whatever sort of consequences. But I think that the, sort of the inverse of that for me is that in some ways, time pressure is good, right? It encourages mm, sure. it, it, too much time pressure can be bad, but a good amount of time pressure can be healthy for the business and for the, the product. Like this whole, my triumph about not writing the feature that was born out of not only are we trying to meet an arbitrary deadline set by the customer, not necessarily arbitrary, like they, they want to run a giving campaign and we're trying to build a feature that can support them through that campaign. And not only did they just like draw a line in the sand and say, okay, this is when we're running our campaign and we need you to have it ready for that. About at the very beginning of this week, they had a meeting and they called in some of our people and they basically said, okay, we're changing the, the rules, moving the goalposts, and now you have more work to do and less time to do it in. And we're have told them all along, we're going to do our best to try and help you out here. But you're by creating a moving target, you're making it that much harder for us to accomplish the goal. And we're not going to be at all upset if we miss it, although we're trying really hard to hit it. And one of the things mm-hmm. that is helping us do that is where can we cut fat, right? What absolutely has to work at launch and what can we put off? And by by deciding, oh, we can modify the database records directly to create the this relationship in the data that doesn't have an admin interface, then not having to build the UI to do that, that's going to save us probably a week or two of like two or three people's time. The idea of de-scoping a release is one of the most underutilized management techniques that I see. And, and I think Explain that. I don't know what descoping a release kind of, means. Kind of what Adam is talking about, where you have a deadline and what you try to figure out is what you can fit into the deadline, not necessarily how long is it going to take to build this entire thing. So you sort of work kind of inverse. You don't get a set of features and then have to ship it on a certain date. You have a date that you want to ship stuff and then you descope the set of features to figure out what makes sense to ship during that period. Mm-hmm. And I, I, Again, people are bad uh, well, at estimating. And, and, and I but you can change it over time. You know, you, as we get closer, you can go, okay, we're definitely not going to have time for that. So you prioritize up front the thing. Yeah, if, if you up front think about these are the things that absolutely must be included, the critical path. And as long as you get all of those done, then everything else after that can be just a priority list. And as long as you're working top priority to, to lowest priority, whatever you don't get done gets cut. So that's a problem too, because you don't always have staff to handle all your top priority. So you need things in there that your other teammates can be working on if you don't have the skill set for it. So that's a whole nother topic. But yeah, you can't always have the same person doing those top five items that are critical. You may need to spread out some work. I think one issue, and, and unfortunately, this falls squarely on the shoulders of engineers. I don't think most engineers are good at pushing back against anything. And no, sure. absolutely if not. They, like sure. tough love, like they need to learn how to do that because if you never push back against anything, you just get into this toxic cycle of overpromising and underdelivering. And then as much as Tim, as he was reading from Hal's thing, was saying that the role of a manager is to protect you from upper management, everybody <laughs> is optimistic about what can get done. And Mm-hmm. At some point, the engineers are responsible for doing the work, which means they're ultimately the most responsible for pushing back. 
I have had that hard conversation with engineers and with managers. Why did you tell him that we could do this? Like, why did you tell the manager that we could achieve this? I need to know. And the answer is they were standing here and they wouldn't quit asking (laughs) when we could do it. So I just said yes. So they would leave. Mm -hmm. And like, that doesn't work because now you've committed to it. Now I have to go stand in front of someone and go, we can't do this. Don't speak to engineers again if you're going to be pushy. Like, go away. (laughs) Like, you're just causing a bigger problem by doing it. We've talked about this, I'm almost certain, on a previous episode. But the guys over at Basecamp have this concept of appetite where they, instead of thinking about when they're going to release something, they ask the company, how much appetite do we have for working on this? Meaning, like, how much time and effort do we really want to put into this? Because it's easy for a product designer to look at something and feel like I need this a hundred percent. Otherwise it's not going to be useful. But if you ask them how much time they want to put into it and they're only comfortable saying, I feel I want the company to dedicate a month of time to this, then at least it gives you this sort of, now we can get on the same plane about what we're talking about because you say you only want to put a month into it. And I'm telling you that what you want would take four months to work. Well, now we have to find a compromise because I can't make it fit into a month and you don't want to go longer than a month. So now let's start to have the tough conversation about what can we fit in the appetite of work you want to dedicate to this company? Yeah. I mean, so kind of the business model that I work in is if you're building time and materials, I see why time is such an important factor in this because every hour spent is an hour being billed. A lot of the stuff I work on because it's financials, it tends to be transactional based. So it's like I'm building something that in return is going to generate a transaction and I would get the money from the transaction. It has nothing to do with how long it takes to build. In fact, typically there's no upfront professional services costs at the beginning. I would rather lose money at the beginning of the relationship as long as I can keep you for the next five to 10 years and make money every single day. In a, in a recurring and on a transactional basis. So what I tend to do is rather than worrying about how long something takes, I'm like, what is the minimum you need to achieve the goal you're trying to get to, right? Give me the MVP. We we're talking about that earlier, right? The MVP. What is the MVP that you need to get this done? And don't, don't throw in the bells and whistles and the absolute minimum, what, and we'll shoot for that. And however long that takes, it takes. But at the end of it, it's going to be what you need to get done. Now that we call that our day one, right? So that's our day one release. Day one, what do you need the absolute minimum to achieve whatever goal, business goal you have? All right. And then day two is like, all right, now that we've achieved your base minimum, what do we do to make the experience better? What what are the things you'd really like to have that are beyond the base minimum? And then we have a day three, which is kind of like the pie in the sky wish list that a lot of times you never even get to. And so uh, attacking it from, look, we can't tell you how long it's going to take, but we can tell you that when it's done, it will be a good customer experience, even if it's minimal, even if it doesn't do everything you want to do, what it does, it will do well, it will execute and it won't fail. And many times that is sort of the, a better conversation that that I can have with customers uh, because they can agree with that. It's like, look, if you hold us to a deadline, we will release something and it's not going to make you look good. Your name's going to be on this and it's going to break. It's going to error. It's going to fail because we didn't have enough time to do it the way it needed to be done. So let's get it to a good state that everyone can be proud of, that your customers will have a good experience with. 
and then we say it's released. So that's kind of how we attack those kind of problems. All right. I'm going to put on my therapist Carol glasses and hat for a moment. You all three just said the same thing different ways. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. I just want to make sure you understand that. Like, I know you were like shaking your head no to something Ben said, but then you just said it a different way, but the same thing. Like, we're going to Sam, we're going to box in this thing of time. We're going to say we can only get these things done, which is to you, your day one items. This is what we're going to get done. Everything else is going to have to go to a day two, which is now our next set of what we can get done. It's right, not but he everything was working all at once. But he was working toward a date. Right. So you are I'm working, too. You have a day no, one release. This is what no, we're doing no, on day one. No, day one is no, I'm working toward here's what the features will be when it's done. There is no deadline. That's the difference. So, no so Ben was saying deadline. you scope it and say, here's what we can get done by, you know, December 1st. I'm saying there is no December 1st. You tell me what no the scoring. MVP is. Yeah. You tell me what the MVP <laughs> is and we will get it done, but I'm not telling you what day that's going to happen. But didn't you also it, just say if you release it early, then you're going to look bad? So then you let them do it, or you don't? I was talking about I was talking about whenever you oh. when you actually estimate and give a date. Ah, okay, right? okay, that's you yeah. now. Following, yeah. all right. Yeah. Therapist hat off. Back to the right. now. Yeah, we're yeah. good. I mean, there's a slight. I get what you're saying. There's, yeah. there's some similarities, but it's a slight difference. Ben was saying if you're working toward a date, I'm saying you don't work toward a date. You say what needs to be done. What are the absolute minimum features, and you get to those features, and however long it takes. That's where you go. Okay. I, I think though. Okay, I'm on your side, Tim. All of us are talking about iteration, really, and being able to see large things and understand how to work towards them in steps instead of these big bang releases. Yeah, the old waterfall methodology. I mean, that's how did anybody ever think that worked? It makes sense from a planning perspective. Just you can't use it for uh, planning time, just in like planning sequence. Yo, can I go rant for two seconds? All right. I, Do it. One thing Hands that it drives me crazy is when a manager drops the phrase, work will expand to fit the time allocated. Yeah. This idea that, oh, if I give huh? a developer a month to do this job, then of course they'll take a month because why wouldn't they? I feel like there's something just terribly insulting about that. Like we're so bad at our jobs yeah. mm-hmm. that we don't know how to manage our time. And I think part of it is that there's this stereotype that because developers love to code so much that they'll spend a month automating something that you could do manually in 10 minutes or all this like crazy stereotypical nerdy developer stuff. But like, that's not the people I know. That's not the people I work with. Like everybody has too much to do all the time. They're scrambling to get stuff off their plate so they can get to the next thing, which is probably overdue as we're discussing already. Like nobody that I know is just sitting around trying to fill up time with code. And it it drives me bonkers when I hear managers talk like that. It's so dismissive of how people work. It's the idea that people are inherently lazy and slackers and will do the absolute minimum. And for the most part, I don't see that most developers are that way. I mean, sure, there's some bad apples out there, but they get found out pretty quick. And and Hal actually talked about that. So he's like, if you're, if you want to do something you already want to do, what is the sense behind holding you accountable? Eat this ice cream and I'll need to see status reports of how much you've eaten accompanied by proof that you're actually eating it to make sure you just don't dispose of the ice cream. And and that's kind of what you're saying. It's like, we want to 
produce good code. I mean, as, as best as we possibly can. And we will take the amount of time it needs to do that. The fact that they say, well, you know, the, the level of effort will expand the time given is just a fact that shows that no one ever gives you enough time <laughs> to work on something that needs to be done correctly. Right. Did you do all the tests? Did you, did you code it clean? Did you refactor it at least once? I mean, no, because you never give us yeah. enough time. There's definitely an element of truth to that for sure. So I think that we've pretty thoroughly destroyed this idea of sprints as a tool to hold developers accountable and enforce consequences, whatever those may be. But I'd like to maybe pivot the discussion a little bit to what is a more healthy approach to sprints in particular, right? So I I don't think that we're saying sprints are a bad thing, but that is a bad way, a bad outcome to be using sprints to, to reach, right? So what is the actual healthy reason to use sprints? I like them as a ceremony that it's sort of a opportunity to look at what's being done and reevaluate whether you're working on the right things, how much more time we want to put into stuff. Is, are there any, did we come across any unknowns that now need to be communicated at a broader level of the organization? So I like that there's a cadence to having the conversation about what's being worked on, what's on the backlog and priorities. But mm-hmm. beyond it being just a ceremony, I, I haven't personally used it for much. Mm. I, I think so. If you have a project manager or a scrum master or whoever, whatever the title is, who's worth their salt, what they're doing in that is they're setting a bounding box on a bucket of work, right? And they're saying, all right, we've got two weeks. Here's what we're trying to get done. Do you guys think it, it's reasonable that this can be done? And everyone has a say, right? As we mentioned, everyone's bad at estimating. And so they inevitably are going to be wrong, either over mm-hmm. or under. And so, but there, if you're there, good. They're going to go back to the customer and say, look, we think we can get this amount done. Chances are it's probably we're estimating wrong. And so throughout this entire sprint, I'm going to be continually grooming the sprint and taking stuff out that may be lost. And that is not a failure. That is not anyone being lazy. This is just the nature of software. This is just how things it is. uh, People uncover people uncover a problem that is more difficult than they thought. And so it needs more time to be done right. And so I think sprint is a tool because developers don't care. You just tell them to work on something, they'll work on it. They don't Most care. Most of the time. Most of it. But it's yeah. like the sprint is a tool for the project manager to set expectations for the customer. Right. And so if they just say, all right, we're going to do these 50 things and no matter what's going to be done, they're not doing their job. Hmm. Their job is to say, look, we're doing these 50 things. We're trying, but they're constantly communicating through to say, look, we're going to have to cut these five things out because we discovered this and setting that expectation that that's how it is, not just, you know, pushing it upstream to the customer or wherever the, the, the stakeholder is and not pushing it down to the developers as if they did something wrong in estimating something that honestly is not 100% estimatable hmm. to begin with. It's interesting. So the way that Ben was describing sprints as ceremony and deciding what's in and what's out and what, what we're going to push off makes me feel like what my team does is daily sprints. But uh, I'll say that, but we don't use them as a tool for managing customer expectations, right? This is all internal to our team. Like we're doing Mm -hmm. daily sprints to just keep each other uh, abreast of what's going on in our work and to help, you know, pull our heads. We have a a morning meeting every morning. We call it our stand-up, but it's not really a stand-up. And we just real quick go through the stuff 
and then it, like get everybody on the same page and then we'll kind of break off into breakout rooms or whatever to discuss bigger topics that need additional input. And I, the, I think the reason that we don't need to use sprints as a customer um, expectation management tool is because we only have one person doing that job and he does a really good job of setting those expectations without, without that sprint tool, I guess. I think my impression of the expectations that he's setting is it'll be done when it's done. We're going to, we're aiming for roughly here. And if it's not there, then it's not there. And and we're going to give you something that we're proud of. Well, see, the other thing I like about sprints is grouping like work together. So we Mm -hmm. can see that these efforts are going on. So if we have multiple that are touching the same area, we can go, hey, you five developers on the team are kind of siloed off for two weeks working on this little area. So everyone knows what's going on. And then our SQA team knows what's about to come down the track. So they don't start testing one. And then there's really four more with it. So it's kind of all together and they can just hold it all at once and release it all together as like one group of work as opposed to them having to retest the same piece of the system over and over and over again. It gives them the ability to kind of group work together into a single sprint. Hmm. I'll throw out a hot take, which is that if you're having long discussions about how long the optimal sprint should be, you're probably doing it wrong. Doing it all wrong. my, My take there. I just feel like you're focusing on the wrong thing somehow. I can't articulate it any better than that, but the length of your sprint should not make or break your product development. I I can't imagine how it would. And if you spend a lot of time thinking about it, I feel like that's time you could have spent building a product. Imagine a month long sprint. Like I can't see that. Yeah. I'm saying like, like two weeks is a max. If you're going to argue between one week and two weeks, then I feel like, you yeah, got yeah, other yeah. stuff. You've got nothing to do in your job every day. So go find something else to work on, please. <laughs> of course, I don't like okay. minting. So <laughs> we all have our things. I'm going to make you, we're going to like make you put a quarter in a jar every time you bring that up. <laughs> <laughs> well, but minting, I mean, to, to some degree, it's like the, <laughs> this belief that you should be standardizing on something like, oh, every, like every team in the company should be running a two week sprint because we need to have, standardization just like what why just try it sorry okay i'm done (laughs) well i struggle with it too is it really a sprint if we're doing continuous deployments like we deploy four or five times a day is it really a sprint because i'm if so i'm doing like hourly sprints i guess i don't know like we release when the work's done it all goes out the only thing we use yeah we continuously deploy literally Mm. all day long we have like we had 700 and something deployments last year and we have a lot of holidays and we don't release on weekends or Fridays or usually early Monday. Yeah, that's like three or four a day on average. Yeah, we have, it just goes out as it's done. We don't stop anything. So the only thing we use sprint dates for is when the actual system is going to be making a change and we need to train customers on new workflows. Then we're like, hey, this Thursday, you need to know that this is changing as you wanted. So prepare 500 users for this because they're about to see something yeah. different. So, I, I mean, I just want to say, I'm going to like message Hal that we've talked about this. That seems so fair. Maybe he'll have some feedback yeah. on this. But uh, yeah, I appreciate his post. Love and it. He's got a lot yeah, of wisdom. I agree. Yeah. And there's a lot of things I, I agree with him on. Mm-hmm. So it's just, I mean, how do you get everyone buy-in on this kind of thing? Because I, I think lazy 
project managers are just like, well, the customer said it needs to be done by here. So we're just going to beatings will continue until morale improves. Uh, I'm surprised (laughs) I didn't think of this earlier. This whole situation, this hypothetical situation that that, that the person that was talking to Hal created, like that they want to hold developers accountable, reminds me of like a story where you hear about the the guy who owns or manages the movie theater and he's not on site, but he's at home watching all the security cameras and he'll like call and yell at the employees if they're standing around too much. Like if there's a, if they're, if the problem is that your employees, no, this movie theater thing is way off topic, I guess, but if they're not busy, then you're not doing your job for getting enough people into the movie theater, right? Like, so you should have had your roadmap planned already and knew what was coming in the pipeline. Right. Yeah. So like the, I, I I don't think I'm disagreeing with anything we've said, but like if this person is so focused on holding developers accountable, then they're, it's their expectations that are wrong, right? Like, yeah. yes, we need to be accountable for our work, but deadlines is not the tool for it. I will say there are places and industries where micromanagers are successful and do well. And if you are over 16 year olds working at a movie theater, <laughs> you need to micromanage. Maybe if you are over software engineers. You should not be a micromanager because you're just going to piss everybody off and you're not mm-hmm. going to have people on your team that support you anymore. Like you can't be in that role and be a my be a micromanager. It doesn't work. So stay off the security cameras if you are managing me because I've got my stuff covered. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Well said. Well, it sounds like we're done. Okay. Think so. Well, then this episode of Working Code was brought to you by Two Month Sprints and listeners like you. If you like what we're doing here, <laughs> you might want to consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash working code pod. To thank our patrons for their support, they all get an invite to our Discord server where we hang out and chat about the podcast and work stuff and life stuff and Hal Helms Facebook posts. Uh, and we have other perks available like early access to our new episodes and the after show. And of course, we need to thank our top patrons, Peter and Monty. Thank you guys so much for your support. Thanks. Uh, if paying for podcasts isn't your thing, no worries. We appreciate you taking the time to listen. And there's some free ways that you can help us out too. You can share our show with your friends and your coworkers, or you can leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. We would love to answer your questions. So if you've got any or topic suggestions, reach out to us on Twitter or Instagram at Working Code Pod, or you can leave us a message on your old, that, that thing in your pocket that you use to doom scroll at night when you should be sleeping. It's actually also <laughs> a phone, a telephone, and you can what? put, you can punch what? numbers in it. And and then talk to no people way. or even leave messages. And and we have one of those numbers. Why would you want to do that? Or you can extend your cars and quarantine. <laughs> yeah. You can yell at telemarketers. Uh, so we have one of those numbers. It's 512-253-2633. That's 512-253-CODE if you want to leave us a message. We'll catch you next week. And until then. Remember, guys, your heart matters. Even you project managers who set deadlines <laughs> for no good reason. You've been listening to Working Code with your hosts, Adam, Ben, Carol, and Tim. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and review on your preferred podcast listening platform. We really appreciate that effort. We'll catch you on the next episode of Working Code. Okay. Oh, wait, that's, I I was going to say the wrong number because I didn't update it in the document. Here we go. And that's not the right date either. I guess if it was August 25th. Dude, you were a slacker, Adam. You need to find some motivation to do this better. I thought you weren't saying the date anymore. I'm not, but I like to know what it is. Ah. Well, you didn't spell September, right? Spit. We're doing this new thing. Yeah, <laughs> new months. New months. October. <laughs> October. That's me. Hey. How about you, Carol? Welcome back. Hey, yeah.
Yeah. Woohoo. Great vacation time. I've had a blast. First, what's a bailiwick? <laughs> I had to go look it up too. <laughs> it's a, I think it's a, I don't know, maybe it's an English goddess thing. It's my grandfather always it is said. It's a person's it. specific area of interest, skill, or authority. Like your field. Huh. Yeah. What's the etymology of that? I don't know. I like to use the word. What's etymology? Okay. <laughs> what's that, Ben? Y'all be using big uh, words. Sometimes I like to throw out the word purview. Oh, yeah. I love purview. the purview. That's like your area of responsibility. That's slightly different. Uh-huh. Yeah. I, I probably don't use it correctly, but no one knows what it means. So <laughs> well, it doesn't I thought matter. your purview is kind of like what's in your vision. It's like what's in what you see. What is in your purview? Yeah. Mm. Okay. Anyways, I learned a new word tonight. That's a triumph. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, so, so it's Old English, bailiwick, district of a bailiff, jurisdiction of a royal officer or under sheriff. So, bailiff. I mean, in yeah. a way, Carol's right because, like, it's your or, or purview, right? It's yeah, the it's area your, you can see, right? It's your the area of your responsibility physically, like geographically. Yeah, one's natural or proper sphere of, of influence. Yeah. So. I was saying that I, I will sometimes someone will ask me a question and I'll and I'll say that it's above my pay grade, but then, I use then that it one. always makes me feel not like I'm shirking responsibility, but for some reason that makes me feel more like I'm passing the buck than anything else. I don't know why. <laughs> this is just like one uh, colloquialism yeah. after another shirking, <laughs> passing the buck. Yeah. Or, or, or is not my yeah. wheelhouse. Not my wheelhouse. That yeah. one too. That was a good one, actually. Yeah, not my wheelhouse. Get you out of it without sounding like a jackass. Yeah. yeah. Uh, above my pay grade is kind of like they yeah. don't pay me enough to deal with that problem. Exactly. That's yeah. kind of a little. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, mm-hmm. like, like go further up the chain to those pickles. <laughs> what you munching on, Tim? Some beef jerky. Yummy. That I, made, I love jerky. That I made. Yummy. Oh, I love jerky too. I bought a dehydrator just to make it. Anybody need a break or anything? It's like when you hear about the, that was it like an, it was that NASA pilot that drove down from like New, oh, yeah, yeah. New York to Florida on. or something with a, with a diaper she went on. crazy. Well, yeah. part of you is like, yeah, she's batshit crazy. But then part of me is like, but is she also kind of a genius? Like, no. <laughs> how much time could no. I be no. saving by wearing a diaper? <laughs> no, it doesn't take that long to pull over no. and go to the bathroom. <laughs> well, yeah. you're not a female. Yeah. Do you, do you know what old people taste like, Ben? <laughs> Okay. Oh, God. 